Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Let's get right to the Word of God. It's Pentecost Sunday, and so I just basically entitled my message, Pentecost. This is lesson number two. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence here among us today. And we ask that you empower us by the Holy Spirit of God, anointing our ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to be open, change us from glory to glory as the word goes forth with power and demonstration. Touch our hearts, change our lives, minister to our needs, conform us to the image of Jesus, save the lost, heal the sick, set the captives free, fill each one with the Holy Ghost and power. And for all this, we'll give you all the praise that you deserve in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. If you didn't turn in on Wednesday with us, then I just want to share a few things uh, about what we talked about in our first message. And number one is the fact that Pentecost is one of the major celebrations or feast days that sometimes in Christian circles gets overlooked. Basically, it's just like Christmas and the Resurrection Sunday that we call Easter, and it's just as important to those events. But yet, for some reasons, even in you know, many Christian circles, you don't hear a whole lot about Pentecost, and you don't hear much of a celebration about Pentecost. As a matter of fact, talking to other ministers, uh, I heard they weren't even talking about Pentecost on this day, which is Pentecost Sunday. For that reason, I just really thought it would be necessary for us to take a look at Pentecost and what it really is, what it means to us. Because celebrating Christmas, you know, we well in advance prepare for that. Celebrating Easter, we know we well prepare in advance for that as well. But Pentecost seems like it's just overlooked. The next thing we talked about how it empowered individuals and equipped them to continue the very works of Jesus, which we've all been called to do. And one example of that, with this new dynamic of the Holy Spirit entering into the lives of people, we see Peter transforming from a coward into one who is courageously proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in the very city where Christ was crucified, where he denied Christ three times. He went from coward to courageous. How? By the power of of the Holy Spirit entering into his being. And then finally we talked about how the glory, which is the Spirit of God entering in, taking up occupancy in the life of a believer, caused love to manifest, not just power, but love and unity among the people. Things that are necessary for the work of God to continue and for all the people to know that we are his disciples. When we love one another and walk in unity and harmony with each other, we achieve those goals that the world out there knows that we are his disciples. So let's continue our study right now by looking at the book of Exodus, chapter 23, verses 16 and 17. We're talking about Pentecost, what it is, what it means, and how important it is to all believers. And at the Feast of Harvest, which in your margin, at least in my margin of my Bible, says Pentecost, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field, three times in a, the year, all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. 
Now, once again, Pentecost, we understand, is one of the seven feast days that gives us a revelation of God's sacred plan of redemption for mankind. And I've gone over those with you many times. But also, I want to share this. It's one of the three pilgrim uh, feasts that mandated all Jewish men to return back to Jerusalem for its celebration. And sometimes, like I, guess, like I said, it's underplayed in Christian circles. But 50 days after Passover... They had to go back to Jerusalem no matter where they lived for the celebration of the Feast of, Pas uh, of uh, Pentecost. Now the feasts that we're talking about, uh, Paul, he viewed them as shadows, types, symbols, uh, pictures that were painting a future event. In other words, you've got a type here and a fulfillment there. A type and a shadow here and the fulfillment of that type and shadow over here. I'll give you an example. If you read in the book of uh, John, we know John 3.16 very well, but the few verses before that, Jesus made this statement. As Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself, is what he was saying. The type was the serpent on the pole. You could say that was the symbol, that was the picture, that was the type. But the antitype, which is the fulfillment of that, was Christ hanging on the cross on Calvary. And so we see the type and the antitype. The symbol and its fulfillment. And so we know that as those Israelites looked up and saw the serpent on the pole and God healed from the serpent's bite, we looked at the cross of Jesus Christ and he provides for us healing and deliverance from the serpent's bite as well, even though it's not a literal one. It's a spiritual one. He overcame sin, death, the grave, and so on. On Calvary's cross. Well in the book of Colossians chapter 2. And verses 16 and 17. We read. And this is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. We have this revelation. These types pointed to Christ. Look at this. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink. Or for not celebrating certain holy days. Or new moon cer ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows. Types. Symbols. Of things to come. And Christ himself is that reality so what he was saying was the things that we were taught in the old testament or the jews understood from the old testament the symbols the types the shadows they point to their fulfillment in christ he's the reality of all that look in romans chapter um, 15 we see him saying this as well the apostle paul that is for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So things in the past were taught, giving us a revelation of certain things from the past so that we would have hope today. What's he talking about? Things from the past. We'll just take the seven feast days. Some things were taught there to give us a future hope. And one of the things, of course, we understand is Pentecost. What is it? What does it teach us? Before I get into it fully, let's do this. God had a goal in mind, and that is redeeming mankind from his fallen state. We comprise really the very family of God. He wanted sons and he wanted daughters. But you know, that was interrupted by the sin catastrophe that took place in the very beginning. So he set in motion what we call the plan of redemption. He planned it out. He sent Jesus to fulfill it 
and consummate it and the Holy Spirit to make it a reality in the lives of believers. The goal was to get man who was in a fallen state to be changed, not just reformed, but changed, born again, a new creation. The goal was to have a relationship with mankind. That was the goal. And he sent Jesus to fulfill that, to complete that. So his goal was then, after people on this earth were born again and made the temple of God, that he himself and Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit would enter into those beings and they'd become his very temple here on this earth. That was the goal and that's what Pentecost is really all about. So we can't minimize and should never underestimate what it means to be a part of the Pentecostal movement because what we're saying is we acknowledge the fact that God who recreated our spirits actually moved into our innermost being took up occupancy in each and every one of us and he now dwells in us and we are his sons and we are his daughters that was the goal and that was accomplished on Pentecost and I want to show you that as we conduct our study look at Leviticus chapter 23 if I could say it this way, and I, I don't know what you'd like to watch, but we've been recently watching um, insane pools, swing pools on TV, and how they would go in there and just take this backyard that was humdrum and just turn it into like uh, some kind of resort that you're at. And I've noticed at the very end of all these, um, teach, uh, uh, all the things that they did back there, that the individuals would come out with the, with the family that owned the, the property and he would have them close their eyes and his goal was to have a wow factor. Like wow, when they open up their eyes and they see their backyard transformed from what it was into a resort with flowing water, waterfalls and all that and the list goes on and gone and if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Well, you know what? Pentecost is God's wow factor. That's exactly what it is. You talk about, wow, here's this sin-sick human being. No way of escaping the sin condition in his heart. He can't be good enough. He can't do enough good works. He can't go to church enough. There's nothing he can do to change this awful state that he's in. Ezekiel said, though, one day God's going to do something. He's going to take that stony heart out of you, put a new heart within you. The wow factor happened on the day of Pentecost when God took those 120 people that now were born again because Jesus breathed on them and they heard the word of his resurrection. But the wow factor is when the glory of God that was housed in the tabernacle of Moses, in Solomon's first temple, in Solomon's second temple, in the holy of holies where that glory was so in manifestation that only a high priest could go in once a year into that holiest place of all and offer a sacrifice to cover up the sins of Israel for a year. That Shekinah glory that left that place when Jesus died on Calvary and went back up to heaven, came back down on that day in cloven tongues like as a fire, sat upon each of them and absolutely entered each and every individual. Can you imagine all of heaven? With all the hosts, the angels that were there saying, wow. And all the powers of darkness saying, oh my, I can't believe that God would do such a thing. But he did it. You see, Pentecost should never be underestimated. This was the accomplishment of God in removing death from the heart of a man and putting life in it. And then coming into him and living within his heart. 
Wow. In Leviticus chapter 23, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you bring the bundle of grain to be lifted up as a special offering, count off seven full weeks, keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days, which is Pentecost, that's what it means, 50 days later. Then present an offering of new grain, notice new grain to the Lord, from wherever you live, bring two loaves, keep that in mind, two loaves of bread, to be lifted up before the Lord as a special offering. Make these loaves from four quarts of choice flour and bake them with yeast. Stop right there. Yeast? Really? Offerings aren't made with yeast. Because yeast or leaven stands for sin. But keep that in mind. They will be an offering to the Lord from the first of your crops. The two loaves represent two people groups that were in the world at that time. There's three now, but two then. Jew and Gentile. The two loaves being baked and presented before the Lord with yeast is talking about two sin-filled and sinful groups before the Lord. You see, no matter who you are, Jew or Gentile, we all have sin. Born into sin because of Adam and Eve. Because his bloodline was tainted with sin that we could never eradicate from our lives on our own. So here on Pentecost, what is offered, two loaves, Jew, Gentile, with yeast, sinful, sinful, presenting to the Lord as an offering. Now, Think about this. These two sinful groups are actually worshiping the Lord together with an offering, but yet they're still in that state of separation from God. If you follow this through, you'll see in Jerusalem, God-fearing Gentiles were allowed to enter into the court of the Gentiles to worship God. But also, there was a four and a half foot wall that was set up between the court of the Gentiles and the innermost place or the inner court. And there was an inscription written there for all Gentiles and foreigners and aliens to see. Warning them, you go beyond these steps. You try to get into the inner court. You just signed your death certificate. See, there was a literal wall with that inscription that the Romans would enforce full well, if you crossed over into the inner court as a foreigner, alien, or Gentile, you died. You were put to death. So we could say there was a natural wall, but also we could say that there was a wall that was a spiritual wall of prejudice, segregation, hostility that separated the Jew from the Gentile and even though they were there in that outer court, and even though they were there worshiping, they were still sinful and sin-filled people. And these people understood that there was no way they would cross over unless they wanted to die. Now, in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to see this. Sometimes these things are just read over lightly and we don't understand the full import because Pentecost explains this perfectly. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. This is from the New Living Translation. Gives us a little bit of insight. They were the outsiders. They couldn't go into the inner place. They were outsiders in the outer place. They couldn't cross over lest they die. And the wall separated them 
And so did prejudice and segregation. Well, you were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies, notice, and not their hearts. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, notice, now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He has united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross... He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentile by creating in himself, notice, one new people from two groups. This is what it's all about. Two groups, the Gentiles and the Jews. Coming together, what, to reform Judaism? Absolutely not. He brought down the wall, literally, and that took place, of prejudice, segregation, hostility, and separation. He, because of his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, through the shedding of his blood, what did he do? He took the stony heart out of man, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, broke down those prejudice walls, broke down those walls of segregation, and created in himself one new man that's exactly what took place it was the beginning of what took place on Pentecost now notice this in Acts chapter 2 you're going to see this it began with the Jewish people first first to the Jew then to the Gentile so the whole process didn't take place on the actual day of Pentecost only the first phase of it the second phase took place in Acts chapter 10 among the Gentiles, which was approximately 10 years later. But the point I'm making is this. This is the wow factor. This is what God wanted 4,000 years before this to accomplish. Not to reform Jewish people, not to make a Jew a Gentile or a Gentile a Jew, but to make one new man in Christ Jesus our Lord, a born-again, spirit-filled, faith-walking, tongue-talking, armor-bearing, love-practicing, devil-resisting, living epistle of the living Christ known and read of all men. That was his goal, and Pentecost was the wow factor. As a matter of fact, let's look at Acts chapter 2, and uh, start with the Jewish group. Here they are, 120 on the day of Pentecost. They're all there in the upper room. And of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there as well. It says that in Acts chapter 1, you can read it for yourself. So these 120 people are in an upper room in one accord. Let's read it. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now these 120 didn't know what to expect. They were just waiting for the promise of the Father, which is this. But there they were faithfully praying, reading the Bible, studying the Word of God, and so on. When all of a sudden this happens without their 
knowing that it was going to happen at that time. Matter of fact, we have a picture of something like this happening in Zimbabwe. Or, I'm sorry, Mozambique. We're going to throw it up there for you to see. This is maybe an idea of what took place. This actually literally took place in a service where the baptism of the Holy Spirit was preached as on the day of Pentecost. And look at these tongues of fire that was sitting upon each and every one of these individuals. You say, why not just one ball of fire? To let us know that God is concerned about every single one of us as individuals. Each and every one became the temple of God, the Shekinah glory of God, the fire of God, entered into each in every one of these individuals as it took place on the day of Pentecost. So that was the wow factor right there that my goodness and they spoke with tongues. They worship God. They glorify God in a language that God gave them that they didn't know. That took place among the Jewish people in the Jewish camp or the Jewish group. Now the Jewish people didn't even know that the Gentiles could be saved the way they were or filled with the spirit as they were. So they didn't reach out to the Gentiles. It wasn't until Acts chapter 8 that we see Philip going down to the city of Samaria preaching Christ to them. They were scattered abroad because of persecution and now all of a sudden they go over to the Gentiles which of course Paul took that ministry over as well. But let's fast forward to Acts chapter 10 and let's look at something here. All these Jews now are born again, spirit filled, speaking with tongues, worshiping God in a language God gave them, etc. for 10 years. They don't know Gentiles could get saved. All of a sudden, this man named Cornelius, he's a very devout man. He prayed often. He fasted. He gave alms to the work of the Lord. Honorable individual. Has a vision. And he sees in his vision, Peter coming into him and, and praying for them and preaching the word to them. You know the story. You should at least in Acts chapter 10. Well, Peter then is sent from where he's at. Send him to Joppa. Bring him down here. He goes there. He starts proclaiming Jesus. Now, he's with these others, and they're in the house of this, this Gentile who was a centurion of the Italian band. And here's what he says. While Peter preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, while he spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, or the Jewish group, which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter. Why? Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Wait a minute. This is the Gentile Pentecost. The Jewish Pentecost took place 10 years earlier. This is the Gentile Pentecost. Why? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, then answered Peter. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Of course, Peter took a lot of heat for this. He went back to his own people, reported what had happened, and they were beside themselves. You went into the house of a Gentile? Are you kidding me? Remember, two groups. Segregation. You see, the wall can come down. You realize that, but doesn't mean that people acknowledge that. And they still thought that there's no way a, a, a Gentile could be saved. But all of a sudden, this next work of God takes place. This is like the Gentile Pentecost. And what happens? He's explaining to them what happened. He tells them what happened. But notice this. In Acts chapter 11, here's what he says. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles. These six brothers here accompanied me, and we soon entered the home of the man who had sent for us. He told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and had told him, send messengers to Joppa 
and summon a man named Peter, Simon Peter, he will tell you how you and everyone in your house can be saved. Peter speaking, and as I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Here we see God's second wow moment. Oh my goodness, now the Jews are born again. They're spirit-filled and loving God and worshiping him with a new heart. That is the born-again Jews. And now we have here the Gentiles born again. See, remember they were at the court of the Gentiles. They worshiped together, but they couldn't go any further than that. God takes them further right here. They're born again. They're filled with the Spirit. They're worshiping God in a new language. The same thing happens to them. So we see here this mighty working of God that took 10 years to complete or to make full takes place. And now we've got one new man in Christ. You see, it's a new entity. It's not a reformed Judaism. It's a new entity. That's why there's three people groups of the world today. Jew, Gentile, and the church of God or the house of God. The house of God is comprised of Jews and Gentiles who've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, have been born again, and thank God, filled with the Holy Ghost and power. What a marvelous work God did and accomplished in our lives. Look at Exodus chapter 23 now. I'm going to kind of put this together. In verse 18, Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, neither shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until the morning. Now notice, this sacrifice was to be made with unleavened bread. Why? If you recall, when Jesus died on Passover, the next day was the feast of unleavened bread because all sin had to be removed from the house. Well, how was sin going to be removed? The only way sin was going to be removed was someone became the sin bearer. And who was that? The scapegoat. Who was that? Jesus. You see, Jesus was the one, the sacrifice, who became sin. And because he became sin, both Jew and Gentile can now come to him. And if they accept his sacrifice, they too can be saved and free from sin. Matter of fact, look at 2 Corinthians 2 verses, chapter 5, verse 17, and then verse 21. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, it doesn't say he's a reformed individual. He is a new creature. One translation says he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Then look at verse 21. For he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Notice it's all in him. So remember, Paul being a Jew writing this says, look, I'm talking about born again people. Any Jew, an Orthodox Jew can accept Christ and become a new creature or creation, a new species of being that never before existed. Any Gentile who accepts Christ can become a new creation, a new creature. That's what Pentecost is all about. Filled with the Holy Ghost, the dwelling place of God. And so you see, 
Jesus was the sin bearer. He's the one that made it possible. And now if you've accepted him as your Savior and Lord, you are a part of that wild moment. You're a child of the Most High God. Look in the book of Acts 1-8 now. Because God had a purpose in mind. In Acts 1-8 it tells us, But you shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. So we see here in, you say charismatic circles, Pentecostal circles, seemingly, seemingly the emphasis is on power and gifts, and it should be. Thank God for the power. Thank God for the gifts. But that's not all what Pentecost, that's not what Pentecost is all about. There's a whole lot more. He said right there, when you get that power, you will be my witness. A witness is someone who testifies to something or something say about that he sees that he hears that he feels that he touches that he knows when you see someone in a court of law take the stand who is an eyewitness it means i saw that i saw something i heard something or whatever it might be you're testifying to something why did he empower them just to benefit them no but to make them what he wanted them to be if you recall the story way back in matthew when he called his disciples he said to, to his disciples follow me and I will make you. Make you what? Fishers of men. Here in Acts 1.8. You shall receive power and you shall be. You see, I'm making them what I want them to be. What did he want them to be? Fishers of men. What's a fisher of men? A soul winner. A witness. In other words, our primary purpose as believers is to witness for Jesus. Look in the book of 1 John. It gives us a better understanding. And we might talk more about this uh, as the weeks go by. That which, because some people say, well, how can I be an effective witness? I'm not all that learned in scriptures, right? Listen, if you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, you're born again, you've got a testimony. You can testify. Look at what John said. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. All John had to say was, I saw him, I heard him, I witnessed it, I was here, I was part of it, that's my testimony. You can believe it if you want to. It's up to you, or not. You know what you can say as a believer? I know I was lost, but now I'm found. I know I was blind, but now I see. I'll tell you what, I didn't know God before, but I know God now. And how did that happen to me? I'm telling you, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. I've never been the same. His presence came into my life. His power came into my life. I've been transformed. Take the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road. He's killing Christians, putting them in jail, wanting to stamp out Christianity. He sees Jesus on the Damascus Road, makes a 180. All of a sudden, he that, he that was trying to destroy it, Saul means destroyer, that was his name, becomes Paul the builder. He preaches over half of the New Testament because of his transformation. You see, it doesn't matter who you are, an Orthodox Jew or a Gentile who's an atheist or heathen. You come to Christ and you recognize the fact that you can't save yourself. You're an eternal, well, eternal spirit being. You're going to live on forever. And guess what? You can live with him in eternal glory if you make Jesus your Lord and your Savior. So, what's our responsibility as believers? 
testify. Be empowered and equipped by God to testify, to share your testimony. It's that simple. Look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. We testify, we witness by letting our light shine among men. They see our good works. They hear our testimony, how we got saved, and they, they know that we're changed. Where I come from in Youngstown, Ohio, the name Anzavina wasn't a very good name at one time. But you know what? I've accepted Christ as my Savior and Lord. I've been born again. And when they heard that Anzavina became a preacher, they couldn't believe it. That just wasn't our name. But you know what? I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And others are also saved, washed in the blood of the Lamb. We're new people in Christ. That's what he does. Here, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 35, and we're going to read right on through chapter 10, verse 1. Listen to these words. This is Pentecost. And Jesus went about all the, all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and, the, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. That's the heartbeat of God right there. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And so that's exactly what he did. He anointed those twelve, then he anointed seventy more, that's eighty-two, and then more and more and more than three thousand, and the list goes on and on. Every individual that's born again, filled with the Spirit, is to be a witness for Jesus Christ, to do the works that Jesus did, to bring others into the sheepfold. So Pentecost celebrates the Feast of Harvest. It's called the ingathering of fruit. When in the springtime we plant our crops, in the fall we know we, we harvest what is planted. Where we're living in the harvest field right now, this is harvest time. As he said there, the fields are white on the harvest. There's so many that need to be reached. But he needs people like you and me to get out there and reach these people. Harvest time is the time between Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets. That's the harvest season. People are being harvested into the kingdom of God right now. Bearing fruit, praise God. And so we know that we're entering to the probably the last stages of Pentecost. And we're about to hear the trumpet sound when the high priest gets off the throne Gets, 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 comes out of the temple, blows the shofar, the dead in Christ rise out of their graves, and we meet them in the Lord in the air as we are changed. Feast of trumpets is going to take place as the shofar is, is blown. But before he does that, we're reaping a harvest of souls into the kingdom of God. That's why we're alive, to get the lost saved, the saved established, the established trained, and the trained sent out to do what? To tell others about Jesus. You know what? The enemy wants to ruin our test, tarnish our testimony, ruin our witness. Why? So we're less effective in reaching others for the kingdom of God. Well, you know what? It's time for us to rise up. He's getting ready to blow that trumpet. The time is short. We got loved ones that need to be brought into the kingdom of God. We need to get our act together as a church and as a people. And if you're out there listening and you're not saved, don't wait any longer. In the twinkling of an eye, boom, we're gone. And there's seven years of tribulation that wastes the people at that point. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 17. I want to make this very clear to all of us. Chapter 5 verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. And we're going to read the whole thing through because it's so important. Therefore if any man be in Christ. Any man, any woman. 
He is a new creation, new species that never before existed. Old things passed away. No more Jew or Gentile. You're the house of God. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That means every born-again, blood-washed child of God is a minister of reconciliation. To do what? To wit means to make it known. To make what known? To make it known that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We have that word. Now then, we are ambassadors, representatives of the highest order for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. Why? He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we be made the righteousness of God in Christ. We all have this responsibility, this ministry of reconciliation. To let people know. How are we going to let them know? Not just by what we say. How we live our lives. How we conduct ourselves. We're to be shining lights in a world of darkness. They're supposed to see a difference in each and every one of us. And you know, the world we know is getting darker. But I believe the darkness has infiltrated the church. It's time for the church to rise up in the light once again. Take their place. Do their part. And be the shining light the world needs and we'll talk about that in a moment. But look at these two verses or sections of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. They may not mean a whole lot to the average Christian who doesn't understand the temple and its worship and the Shekinah glory that was there. But if you're learned in the Scriptures and you're well taught, as Paul said, these things were to teach us some things for now. Exa examples or examples of, uh, for us to learn from. Know ye not that your you are the temple of God. That in itself is a mouthful stated. Temple of God means we're his dwelling place. And that is spirit. The spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile the temple of God, you are that temple. I am that temple. Him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is what? Is holy, which temple you are. Think about that. We're not to defile ourselves with anything that is in this world. Anything. We're to live as a holy people before God. That's what Pentecost is all about. Look at the next one. Chapter 6. 19 and 20. What? Paul says. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. In other words, your body doesn't even belong to you. For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We talk about being redeemed. We talked about the price of our redemption. We talk about not silver, not gold, but the blood of the Lamb. He bought us. He paid for us. He paid our sin debt. Why? To enter us. He is a holy God who's entered a temple, basically in the flesh. We're not that holy. But he took our spirit, recreated it, entered into our spirit with the power of the Holy Ghost, the Shekinah glory of God. Why? So it can ooze out from us. Crucify our fleshly desires. Empower us to live above sin and death. And the forces of darkness and evil and temptation. That's exactly what Pentecost is all about. God taking up residency in every single 
one of us. He moved into our being. He cleaned us up in the new birth and filled us up on Pentecost with his spirit. Hallelujah. Now, why be a witness? And we'll conclude with these points. Why be a witness? From God's perspective, let's look at it this way. It's been commanded. Look at Mark 16, 15. And what it says, he said unto them, go in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You say that was just for the 12 to do. No, we're all. We all have the ministry of reconciliation to let everybody know. We all are called to do the same thing. Why should I be a witness with my life, with my words, with my conduct, my character, my attitudes, and so on? Because John 15, 16 tells us from the believer's perspective, it's our purpose. Look at this. It's our purpose. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. And that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. There's nothing more important for us as believers to ask for than the salvation of our loved ones that are lost. He chose us. Why? To bring fruit into the kingdom. To win souls. Number three. From the unbeliever's perspective, it's absolutely necessary and needed. How can they get saved if they don't hear the gospel message? Look at Romans chapter 1, 14 through 17. I am a debtor. That means you're a debtor too and so am I. Both to the Greeks to the barbarians, both to the wise, to the unwise. We owe it to people, is what he's saying. I owe it to people. So as much as, is it, as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I am not ashamed, he says, of the gospel of Christ, and neither should we. Be ashamed. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. The unbeliever needs to hear the message of salvation. And then also number four. What about from the perspective of the devil himself? Acts 26 and verse 18. When he was preaching, when Paul was giving his testimony to the king, here's what he says. When Jesus appeared to me, he said, I'm calling you to be my witness. Why? To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. In other words, I want you to wreak havoc with the kingdom of darkness. I want you to get those that are gripped by the devil in, in death and hell and sin and rip them up out of that miry clay Wreak havoc with his kingdom. Bring him into saving grace. Get them born again and blood washed. That's exactly what we are to do. Interrupt the work of Satan in the earth. You know, in conclusion, it was on the day of Pentecost that the fire of God fell. And when that fire of God fell, fire purges and it ignites. So let's not forget that. It purges. Sanctification comes by the fire of God as we yield to it. It ignites within us a burning desire to reach lost humanity for Jesus. It transforms like Peter from a coward to courageous. The glory moves within our hearts and souls into human temples as we are all temples of the living God. Everywhere we go. Not once a week on Sunday. Every single day. Every moment of our lives. We are the mobile home unit of the living God. And God is alive in us. 
On Pentecost, the church was born. The Jewish camp became the temples of God. The, Pente the Gentile Pentecost took place in Acts 10 among the Italians. The Gentiles, the first Italians, they, I mean the Gentiles to hear the truth of God's word. They were empowered. The church was born. Gentile and Jew are together. One new man in Christ. And the Father himself, looking down from heaven with his angels, says, wow, it happened. I got a family. Man, it was a lot of work for my son. But I got a family. Hallelujah. Happy Pentecost. I pray you know Jesus. I pray you're spirit filled. Don't stop with just being born again. Get spirit filled. That's the glory coming into you. Equipping you. Empowering you. Exploding love in you. Unity. All the work of God. Making you a light. In a world of darkness. Praise God. Father I thank you for every person. At the sound of my voice. To be challenged. As I am. To look at these truths. Evaluate where we're at. And truly. Sit ourselves beneath the light of your scrutiny. To determine whether or not we are walking worthy of you. Unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work increasing in the knowledge of God that we might conform each and every day more and more to the very image of our Lord and Savior and we might live lives exemplary lives before you and before mankind that they would see you in us as we are living epistles of the living Christ known and read of all men that we might be empowered to proclaim this good news to anyone and everyone in our circle of influence. That we would be soul winners. That we would honor you. Father, thank you for doing it. Thank you for your great plan of redemption. Thank you for Jesus who consummated it. And now thank you for the Holy Ghost who has washed us, who has cleansed us, who has empowered us, who has made us your temple on this earth. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen.